Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Focus. I'm your host, Melissa Moody, and you're joining us for a series of actionable conversations about how and why people find focus in this incredibly digitally noisy world that we live in. I'm joined today by Chris Danner. He is head of product at Charity Water, and I'm especially excited to chat with him because we haven't had any product leadership or, you know, end side leadership at all on the show thus far. So I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation today. You want to say hi, Chris? Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much, Melissa. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. And I'm really actually excited to explore how we managed to get anything done with all of the distractions around us. I'm definitely not great at it, but hopefully getting better. <laughs> well, that's part of the show is I'm not just bringing on, you know, psycholo- psychology researchers who tell us exactly how we should do it or you know, the Gary V's of the world who clearly have a whole team that's helping them do it. <laughs> We're talking with real people. That's why we're here that's the fun of it right you know one of the things i did want to start at because i mentioned it initially is head of product you are a product leader and especially in this podcast we've talked with ceos or even marketers or the natural out there talking about it all the time people um, they are living very very loud lives now i think by nature head of product you're really focused on building you're focused on doing can you talk to me a little bit about how initially, even when we started talking about having you on a show called Finding Focus, what did that mean for you in your role? We're going to talk about the bigger picture of Chris later, but talk to me about what that means when it comes to like a head of product role. Yeah, I think the first thing that really comes to mind is uh, sort of first principles around product, which is around accomplishing goals and being Mm -hmm. able to clearly articulate what what you are trying to achieve and then taking actionable steps to get there. And I think that's true both as, as a product manager in general, but as someone who's trying to trying to focus more and to be more more productive and just accomplish my own goals and either mm-hmm. my professional or or personal life. It's that's a really great point. Do you think there's naturally more of a tendency to systematize and processize it just based on who you are and what you do. Do you have that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I, I have personally, I would, I would love if, if I could systematize it, mm. I think that I personally struggle with focus to the point where I've had to accept that maybe I can't and that maybe how I achieve whatever the task is that is in front of me at any given time Maybe it's something different day to day. Maybe it's mm-hmm. maybe it's a sort of different tactic meeting to meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, because as much as uh, as I think, I don't know, some archetypal product leader out there can systematize and like processize everything, and it's all quantifiable and it's all measurable and it's all perfect. Like, uh, I think that's probably great for a book on product management. But the reality of organizations, the reality of stakeholders, the reality of building anything in any environment is that it's so much messier. It's, uh, it's just so much more complicated. Um, and the way that I try to navigate it is just understanding what can I do in any given moment to move the ball forward and whatever that looks like. Yeah. I think now just even hearing you say that I hear our kind of CTOs, chief product officer as well. He's always, you know, when we get off course, he's always dropping in that line of like, okay, let's go back to the, the why, like, what is the hypothesis that we're actually pointed at? 
you can't always be driving to the why, but you can always come back to it, right? Like you can say, I'm getting off track. Let's come back. Yeah. There's also like, there's also never a bad time to mm. check yourself as, as to whether or not you are aligned with, with the why. Like it, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like, um, there's there's no amount of time that can pass when like a handwritten thank you note isn't a great thing to to receive like you could receive a handwritten thank you note from so, from like someone for something you did six years ago and be like this is amazing it's so good and the same thing's true with 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 product with life just any time is a good time to like take a beat and be like have we gone off course and yeah because there's always there's always time there's always room to to course correct to to improve to to get back to where you're trying to go well you are the shining light in my week because a i'm going to be doing that course correction from a focus standpoint but b i have quite a few of those thank you notes that still need to be written so oh my god i i i am i am actually holding on to it's not a thank you note it's like hey my bad like i'm sorry just want to acknowledge this thing like, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's seven years old it's not getting done this week it's probably not going to get done next week but if i can knock that out like in the next couple of years i'm gonna feel great about myself writing that one well, before we talk about all these ways in which we're succeeding, let's actually, let's go deeper on that. I think you put, um, when we first chatted about finding focus, one of the th questions I ask is what's the biggest barrier to staying focused? And you had the most wonderful phrasing. You said, I feel like I have to battle the world and myself to focus. I want to pull that out because you, you know, in our conversations, you have this amazingly optimistic, positive, forward-looking look, but that is a big statement that I agree with. There are so many barriers and work and personal like all of them peel that apart a little bit for me how did that statement come out because i i truly found it resonated and i thought it was a beautiful way to say it thanks um i think i think that really comes from something that i talk a lot of, uh about with my wife which is i have a really difficult time getting unstuck it's really, really difficult for me to go from zero to one. And there's obviously like a, a huge tech entrepreneurship celebration of the whole concept of like zero to one. And uh, and someone in product saying they have a hard time getting to zero to one probably isn't great for my professional development or like career tra trajectory. But putting that aside, I, it's just really, really hard for me to get from doing doing nothing Mm -hmm. to doing the thing that is productive that mm -hmm. space is just interminable like it is mm -hmm. it, it feels like the entire world is in between me and that space on the far side of it once i have momentum once i can get unstuck once i like once i can achieve that focus i feel like i'm incredibly productive like once mm -hmm. i just get going a little bit mm -hmm. uh, but in that sort of initial moment uh, it, it really it just personally that sort of anxiety sweaty palms like it feels like everything's stacked against me before yeah. i can dive in i'm sure there are people nodding along with this conversation because that is not i mean there's an amazing book that i always refer to even though it's been like 20 years since i read it i think but um it instead of the war the art of war um there's a great book called the war of art by stephen pressfield and yeah. it's about it's about creative resistance it's about that how do you like Ugh, get in past that point from from zero to putting something on the page, putting it down, putting a foot yeah. forward. So I think like conceptually that you're not alone, right? But if I were to say, 
have you found anything there that because I think number one is probably just the recognition of that number one is saying like you said you talk about it with your wife saying hey I'm going to need you or someone on your team <laughs> to be aware of the fact that I have trouble doing this and be my better half um, is there anything yeah. else you found that kind of kickstarts it or has worked for you yeah one of one of the biggest things that I try to remind myself all like all the time is that it doesn't have to be perfect. It has mm -hmm. to be progressive. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's true with product. It's, it's kind of true with life. I think it's true with, with, with any type of creative or, or professional pursuit that what's, we often are paralyzed by the need for the first thing that's down on the page, the first thing we release to be perceived as perfect. Yeah. And that is not an attainable goal. That is actually a very, very unproductive goal to set. Mm -hmm. And it will only prevent you from doing nothing longer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or it will only prevent me from doing nothing longer. It the, the moment, the moment I I'm able to sort of recognize that whatever the first sentence I have to write, whatever the first story I have to write, whatever the first action I have to take in order to achieve a larger goal, that even that first step doesn't have to be right. I just have to get myself going. Once I can take the pressure and the anxiety off of taking that step, it becomes much easier for my mind to kind of get in that moment. And in the same way, um, and I'm sure folks have, have always felt this way, it's a lot easier to react to something that is sort of half-baked or almost there or a first draft than it is to write that first draft yourself, which is why your manager's always asking for them to react to something rather than be like, oh yeah, let me write something. It's like, no, 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 no. That is really where like, where the value starts getting added on is, is after all of those edits, all of, all of those revisions, all of those iterations, it's not necessarily the MVP launch. It's everything that, that like comes after that. Mm -hmm. Um, and just recognizing that, like, you got to get yourself to launch, you got to get yourself to a first draft and then you got to work through it. Cause that's actually where, where the work begins. Mm. So, so on the other side of this, you, we were talking about getting started and sometimes it just takes that little bit to get going. You did mention though, that once you get going, for you, you can really put your head down and really work. I know you mentioned a little bit your experience with deep work. Now, some people throw that around as a loose term, but from what I've heard you say of it, like it's a, really a tool in your arsenal when you choose to use it. Um, tell me a little bit about what deep work is for you and how you really get into that, because it's a fascinating concept to see actually at play. Yeah, I think the concepts of deep work or, or flow can, um, can sort of take on this like mythic state of yes. of just a trance where work not only becomes incredibly easy like it feels easy your output is just of a really high quality it's extremely fulfilling time passes like there isn't enough time once you're in that state and and i think it's it's taken on a kind of mythic quality because it resonates so much and it is a real feeling and it's this it's this sensation and this odd thing that can really happen but the re i've sort of accepted it that i can maybe only achieve that once a day max like if i can get to that state once a day 
then it's amazing. But being able to give myself a bit of grace and say like, oh, like maybe, maybe I'll only hit a sort of glorious three to five hour stretch of, of like being in, in flow once or twice a week. If I was I just going to say that, once a day, I, yeah. once I, a day would blow once my a mind. Day, yeah. Once a day is like hall of fame, just like knocking like home runs. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Deep like, work champion. Yes. Totally. And, and again, going like going back to people that could like totally processize and block out everything like that. It's, I, I don't know if that's an attainable goal hmm. for myself. So it's like, it's how can I, how can I achieve that state to be as productive as I can to be as fulfilled in work as as I can be at, at some sort of regular interval that works for my job, for my life, for all of the constraints that I work under. That's just where I'm trying to go. And for that, it's, yeah, it's a couple times a week, ideally. And, you know, I think you brought this up too, but you don't just stroll in and say, I'm going to time block and this is going to be deep work time. It's one of those things you need to build up to and come down from, right? Deep work, I mean, it is not just a time block, right? There is a lot more component to it. I know you mentioned a little bit about how you structure that. Uh, What does it look like for you? If you're like, okay, I know on Thursday, I'm going to make some time to push myself to get into a place of deep work. What does that look like for you? Yeah, the so the most sort of operational tactical aspects of it is organization. It's mm. it is closing windows, it's organizing my desk, mm. it's uh it's taking a shower, it's just kind of setting everything up, making sure that I have lots of water. Um like this is like so odd but it's like if i'm if i'm putting together some sort of prd or like some some sort of some sort of strategy document Mm -hmm. it's like making sure the fonts and the format are like ready just just Mm -hmm. for me to get going so i don't then interrupt myself to be like oh this is looking bad and and Mm -hmm. and throwing myself off it's very much setting the table Mm -hmm. and for me at least I always have to set the table, but even that doesn't guarantee that I will be successful. Sure. It's just, I know that the odds of me being able to get into a flow state are so much lower if I don't set the table first. You know, a fascinating metaphor, or not even a metaphor, but a comparison that I just came up with. You and I both have kids. I don't know if yours have done this, but mine were Montessori children. And <laughs> they call the little stations that they set up their work and they do yeah. their work and they have everything they need for a work is on like a tray and they bring out the tray and they set it everything else is away just the one that they're working on and all of a sudden i'm seeing like oh my god that was setting the foundations of deep work like all those montessori (laughs) children and the ones that but it's it's also cooking like the whole concept of like of of like mise en place the whole i mean professional athletes know this extremely well but but the concept of getting yourself ready getting warmed up cooling down in order Mm -hmm to you to get into this state of performance mm-hmm. is just how our bodies are kind of wired. And I mean, if we think about it, really the concept of deep work, it, I, I talked with an earlier, there was an earlier episode of Finding Focus with a, a wonderful woman named Milena Regos, um, who's done a lot of research in this area. She talks a lot about deep play and how actually we tend to enjoy our professions because we can get into the state of deep, deep flow. Like let's call it flow. Yeah. We often, sometimes don't like our free time because we don't get into flow. And so she actually talks about 
what is flow in your personal world? Like, and so same thing, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn, I, I'm going to swim. I'm going to swim laps. I get myself ready. I prepare my body and you do it. And then boy, oh boy, that is it. The athletic versions or some, yeah, someone cooking in the kitchen could feasibly be flow, right? When I bake, I'm mm -hmm. absolutely in flow. Um, yeah. There's that uh, concept that radio producers talk about around, what's it called? Like, um, uh, car moments when you're listening to a podcast or some great radio segment and you pull up to your house, but the segment's so good and you're so enthralled with it. You just sit outside in your car mm -hmm. and just absorb it. Like similarly, that may not be you in a state of state of work production, but mm -hmm. it's your mind and your body being totally aligned with, with the mm -hmm. moment you're in. And it's extremely rewarding. Like if yes. you want to enjoy your job more, find a way to get into flow more. Like it, uh, it, it, it really becomes just an incredibly fulfilling part of work. That is a fascinating way to put it. I mean, for those of us that are in roles and we know we love what we do, but sometimes you you find that disconnect or you find yourself just feeling far apart from the mission or from what you yeah. originally got to. I wonder if that's almost just a nice tactical to do item, which is, okay, block out some time and see if you can get into flow for a component of the job or for the work that you love. Now, yeah. And I like, I think a lot of our best ideas kind of come, come from when we're able to achieve that. And whether that's with someone on our own, like whatever it is, like we also tend to be just extremely more productive and valuable to our organizations. Absolutely. I want to dive in. You work for a very cool organization. So uh, Chris works at Charity Water, again, head of product at Charity Water. Um, the nonprofit mission there obviously resonates with, with many of us, and it's a very well-known organization. Tell me a little bit about you know, the focus that you have when it comes to your role at the organization overall. I mean, what role do you see yourself playing? Do you feel really connected there? How does that fit into kind of your overall goals? I have always wanted to align my uh, my professional pursuits and my professional ambition with a sense of making a difference in mm -hmm. the world. That's just a really important personal part of of, of what motivates me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so being able to sort of not just pursue, but to develop and grow skills within, within product at, at an organization um, that's obviously so mission aligned has mm -hmm. been wonderfully fulfilling. I think in the day to day, I'm fulfilled by the mission and, and the mission alignment. Like there's a nice little kick in the morning when you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm working to help solve the global water crisis. That totally helps. But I think it's true of the challenges that you're wrestling with in your work day to day, regardless of, of whether your organization is, is mission aligned or, or, or a nonprofit kind of whatever it is. If you're dealing with problems that engage you, that becomes mm -hmm. extremely fulfilling work. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things I love about the work at, at Charity Water is it takes an, a, a different view to what product management is, to what a digital product experience can be for, for a, for a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You know, our value exchange doesn't end with you receiving um, like a really cool coffee mug or a mattress in a box or like some new SaaS product. Like we're not sending you anything, but 
ironically, charitable giving is one of the few products out there, one of the few experiences that's just mm-hmm. scientifically proven to make you happier. Like mm-hmm. it is, it is the sort of holy grail of any of any marketer of kind of any brand that when someone interacts with our product, they're genuinely going to be happier. And that happiness is actually sustained. And from a product management perspective, what we sort of wrestle with is is how do we facilitate that value exchange better? How do we make it more engaging? How do we make that happiness last longer? And how Mm -hmm. do we... um, sort of in a very like Marie Kondo way, like how do we spark joy? How do we, how do we create a product that sparks joy? Cause at the end of the day, like that is for donors, like, yes, we are uh, helping them achieve um, a very serious impact to make a measurable difference against a global crisis, but we're, but we're also in the business of sparking joy. And mm-hmm. so uh, building products and building experiences that do that is just a great challenge. It's, I remember when you and I first talked about this, you talked about your product is the happiness of the customer. And I think that that, like that really um, set things up very different for me. The product is not the features you build or the hooks that you wrap into it. It really is, are we delivering on actually the feeling of the customer? And I think that's very translatable, whether you're at, you know, a company with a nonprofit mission or, or, you know, a for-profit type of organization, there's probably that more why driven product that you should be chasing. I mean, even if it is SaaS software or whatever, you know, I think there probably is a bigger why that is the product than many of us sometimes stop to consider. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that concept has actually been around for a long time. The whole concept of like sell the sizzle, those like great old uh, clips of like Steve Jobs talking about how, how Nike never talks about the construction of their shoes. They just show you Michael Jordan jumping from the free throw line. Like that's the yeah. same thing. In in all of our products, all of our customers are judging the sort of financial cost against what the perceived value is. Mm-hmm. It very, I believe, very, very few customers out there are, are actually... Uh, sort of taking some sort of fine accounting of, oh, I paid $20 for this and this is the exact value of, of like $20. It all boils down to how does this product, how does this experience make me feel? Yes. And once that perceived value becomes, just grows, becomes sustained, then price, it doesn't become irrelevant, but you have a lot more elasticity around price and you have a lot more opportunity for growth. And you probably have a lot more places to run with the product too. I was thinking about Nike as well, and I'm going to misquote it, but something about like their, their mission or kind of their vision is, you know, everybody is an athlete, like every, that, that whole, I'm definitely misquoting it, but something to that effect. Sorry, Nike. Um, But when you're chasing that as the why, instead of cranking out some awesome shoes, the things that a product team could do, boy, oh boy, the doors are much more open wide, right? Like it's much more about how do we make people feel like they're an athlete? I mean, that is. Yeah. And, and, and it, and it introduces, and, and, and just sort of following the, the whole Nike example, like it introduces new verticals that mm-hmm. weren't necessarily the vertical that started them. Like they started with running shoes, like specifically track shoes. I'm not a runner. 
but but for some reason, like putting on Nike gear makes me feel like an athlete, makes mm-hmm. me feel performance oriented, makes me feel like I'm living a, a healthier lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, makes me feel closer to athletes that I look up to. And I think that's true, you know, even beyond beyond consumer brands. Just how how does the product that I'm interacting with make me feel? Does it does it resonate with with my own sense of self? Does it does it provide some sort of sense of sense of sense of community? How do I value that community? Mm-hmm. That ends up being so much more valuable than whatever is arriving in in the box or whatever is being unlocked because you're going to a higher tier. Yeah, for those listening, I mean. You have to have product leadership that thinks like this, that thinks like Chris, because we know your brand marketers are off thinking this way, right? They're like, oh, we're, <laughs> we're going to make everybody feel like an athlete. And then the product yeah. team is like, okay, or are we just making shoes? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> now, you know, you and I've talked a little bit about the product role. I really, I really love that, this kind of finding the why that drives product. I want to zoom out a little bit back to you as Chris overall and your why. I want to push you on... Is there a why? Is there a kind of a thing you focused on throughout your career? Or do you feel like it's changed or, or in by your career? Let me not say it throughout your life. Like, has your focus kind of shifted over time? Oh, I have. Oh, if if there is a continuous thread through my <laughs> Still career. Still looking for it? <laughs> yeah, like that is one circuitous route. I mean, I I will say very similar to my experience of life, not to make any grand statements, but um, as I've gotten older, I've not just become more comfortable and confident in who I am, Hmm. but I also feel like I just know myself better. And there's a degree of sort of authenticity that, that I hope I'm like at least trending closer towards, which like it, but I know it's measurably better than it was in my twenties. Like I was way off base in my twenties. <laughs> I had a friend. Who, I had a friend who put it this way. She's like, I've dated in my twenties, thirties, and forties. And she says, let's put it this way: once I hit my forties, I knew exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. We know it's... ourselves better, or the potential dates better. That I just thought that that was a good observation. Something has gotten more refined. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, we're going in the right direction. And I think for my personal career, there was, you know, there was certainly, you know, I I think like anyone in their early 20s, I was like, I want to get rich. Uh, And, and, but I was like, I want to get rich doing good in the world. Um, And and, I want to get rich doing good in the world and something my parents are proud of. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. Just like all, like all of those, those things. And yeah, that, you know, for me, that led me to launch a launch a e-commerce marketplace that was all um, focused on sustainably manufactured menswear. It was sort of the it was the aughts when everyone was into like American made workwear, and I was like, I'm going to make a thing that looks like Pinterest, but it's all going to be just Edison bulbs and exposed brick and really thick Japanese denim. And then I'm going to build a universal shopping cart and I'm build this whole web of APIs, and it's going to be great. And we built way too much and we weren't solving like a specific enough problem we weren't focusing on our why long long story short that didn't work out and and from there like i always i always resonated with wanting to feel proud of the impact that my work was having and mm-hmm. i sort of chased that 
through a couple other positions going through impact investing and a few other ways and found myself at found myself at charity water so i do think i do think like the common thread is i don't know if it's if it's impact per se but yeah there is like there is something too just like i do want my work to have like a a good impact on the world as i see it yeah and that's really important for me but how that's looked has just been this pink this you know pinball yeah i wonder i'm just gonna play your mirror here for a second i wonder if it's too it's impact but it's interesting that you chose both you know through product and through the investing mechanisms and through kind of um you know the incredible fundraising mechanism that charity water runs like it's almost like impact through existing systems right like like adding impact into retail adding impact into investing adding retail yeah. adding impact into um fundraising excellence right like that's really interesting so that's actually a comparison which which i've used before mm -hmm. uh because i'm fascinated by how how significantly things can compound mm -hmm. like not just like compound interest but just habits uh, tiny just, yep. just tiny things can just compound over time. And I really believe that there's like, if, if you're able to align systemic forces that, that sort of create their, their own environments, their own, their own force. And if you're able to align that with whatever you want to see in the world, whatever yeah. change you want to make, like that's a really powerful force. I think entrepreneurs, I think nonprofits, I think loads of folks like don't spend enough time thinking about like how, how, how can I leverage systems that have proven to have outsized impact mm. for, for my own personal goals or my organization's goals or whatever I, I want to achieve. Yeah, I was on a podcast, a really great podcast for those listening called We Are For Good. And it's about the nonprofit space, um, Becky and John. Yeah, I got a smile from Chris. It's a great, like they're just yeah. such talented people. But we ended up, that was everything we ended up talking about, which is this idea of integrating components of social good into things that are no brainers, right? How do you just layer in small, so you're, you're literally not even people asking people to think about it. You're just yeah. layering it into the things that people do every day with the knowledge that it compounds to your point. Um, yeah. And, I and I also think that's fundamental product thinking. Like, oh, like, yes. like when you're trying to think of how to remove friction between uh, your sort of target user and the action you want them, you know, um, to take our users, our, our customers are not existing in, in some vacuum that is mm -hmm. that is separate from 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 forces or or just from their own momentum they're already doing things they're already partaking in things they're already members of of whatever community they're already using specific tools product services mm -hmm. and the more that we're able to mimic integrate partner with piggyback just layer our own products into how people already see themselves we're we're significantly reducing adoption friction uh, and and that then becomes an extremely powerful force oh, i love this thinking i want to wrap up by asking you where can people read more about you follow you and or charity water anything you'd like to plug right now oh i um honestly charity water uh it would yeah. or at, not to um dent my own my own kpis but 
donate to whatever org or whatever cause like most aligns with the change you want to see just to test, like do your own user test of how it makes you feel. If it's been a while since you made a charitable donation, if it's, it doesn't necessarily need to be to charity water at all, but you know, I got to hit my goals, find an org that you care about and just take note of how that feels. And then I just ask folks to like, think about how they can incorporate that into their own professional lives. I Um, love that. That might be the best uh, call to action at the end of a finding focus we've had yet. So great job. Well, again, I know these seem short sometimes. We could probably keep going. I'm sure everybody would love to hear more from you. But thank you for your time today, Chris. Anything you want to leave the audience with? But we really appreciate hearing from you. Just thank you so much for just doing this. My pleasure, but continue. Yeah, no, 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 no. Thank you. Thank you so much for sort of providing space to to be able to to be able to talk about focus, I think it's something that's sort of readily identified, but very difficult to actually achieve. Um, and as someone who really wishes that they had a lot more focus in their life, I'm just grateful uh, that that you're providing a space and and a microphone to it. So thank you. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Well, everybody listening, we know we know it's a journey. It's definitely not, <laughs> yeah. not something that we humans are built to do easily. Um, Progress, so. not perfection. Yeah. yeah. Now everybody go back to your TikToks, right? (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly.